This is Emmanuel Today. Taking steps towards God's possible in your life. Well, good morning, church. I want to say good morning to all of our friends and family that have joined us online today and also to our friends in Elk River. Can we just give a big shout out to our campus up in Elk, R- Elk River? Today we're going to keep going in our series on the book of Joshua. And today as I was reflecting upon the message, I was thinking about the world in which we live today and how there is this desire that's in people in our society to fast track in life. There's this desire to try to leapfrog ahead of our current position into a further one and skipping the process that lies therein between. You can see this played out in some different ways. You know, you watch movies, and in 90 minutes, somebody goes from zero to hero and saves the day. You look at people who spend a dollar at a gas station, even though they're living in poverty, and a minute later, they're worth millions and millions of dollars having won the lottery. You can also look at athletes who have grown up and all of a sudden have encountered incredible wealth and, and things like YouTube now exists so that you can be a little boy yodeling in Walmart in somewhere in the United States, and the next week, all of a sudden, you're on the Ellen DeGeneres show. <laughs> Funny thing about that, and no, I told first service, I will not yodel today, um, <laughs> no matter how bad you ask. It won't have, I don't know how. But I was watching this little boy, he's on Ellen DeGeneres show, sweetest kid, and she asked him, you know, what are your what are your dreams in life? And he tells her, you know, I want to sing at the Grand Ole Opry. I want to go to college. And I want a trailer home. I think I got this right. And so Ellen, within a minute, says, you know, we've talked to Walmart, and they're going to give you money towards college. And we actually have you booked at the Grand Ole Opry. And I don't know if she took care of the trailer or not. But all of a sudden, this this young kid, everything he'd ever wanted in life, in an instant was just given to him. But there's trouble that we run into in life, and there's this principle that we're going to look at in Joshua 5 in a moment, that whenever our resources or our platform exceed our integrity, we will be left bankrupt. They did a study in Florida of lottery winners a few years ago. And what they discovered is that 70% of lottery winners who had achieved and and taken in millions and millions of dollars, 70% of them within five years were bankrupt. There's a study that was done in 2015 on former athletes, and through it they learned that 80% of NFL football players within two years of retirement are bankrupt. 60% of NBA athletes by a couple years after retirement are bankrupt. You can watch shows on Netflix like Broke where they go through the, the, how the players would lose their money and there's a couple stories that crack me up one day when I watched it. One of them, if you're a little bit older in the room, you might remember Ricky Henderson. He was a major league baseball player. At the time had the record for like most steals in the history of the game. And one time the Oakland Athletics front office called him and they said, hey, uh, Ricky, we, we just want to check in with you. We have a, a check we sent you for $1 million, and it's not cashed. 
So we just want to make sure that you got it, that there's no trouble. And Ricky told him, he said, well, yeah, I got the check. I framed it, and I put it on the wall. And they told him, well, you know, we can send you avoided checks so you can put that on the wall, and you can actually have the money. But there's this principle we learned from watching the way that people all of a sudden obtain resources or platform beyond what their integrity is, and shortly thereafter, they end up bankrupt. Now, when I talk about integrity, I, I want to kind of reframe what you think of when I say that. A lot of times when we think of integrity, we think of the phrase, it's what you do, doing the right thing when nobody is looking. Now, that's a part of integrity. But I want to change and, and kind of broaden the definition of that to living in such a way that the word and spirit of God are wholly integrated into every part of our lives. I'm gonna say that again. Integrity is living in such a way that the word and spirit of God are wholly integrated into every part of our lives. Living by the spirit means participating with and integrating the spirit of God into our thoughts, our attitudes, our beliefs, and our actions. And when we're fully integrated with God and his spirit and his word, we have strength. Think about the way that you look at a bridge when you drive over it. You're hoping that that bridge has the structural integrity to handle the weight of the cars that are driving over it. In the same way, integrity in our life means that God wants to build us up with so much integrity and be so integrated into our lives that we can have the structural integrity to bear the weight of the promise he has in front of us. In Joshua chapter 5, we find the people of God in a place where it would have been easy for them to think, hey, this is our moment to advance, to, to conquer and inhabit the promised land immediately. They were ready to go. They just crossed the, the Jordan River. It dried up. Remember, they walked across it. They built memorials. It's time to go. And yet God said, pause, because there's a process he wanted them to go through first. He wanted them to go through a process so that they could not just conquer the land, but also inhabit it and live in the promise. There was a process in which God wanted them to be integral people before they inhabited the land. And I truly believe that we should pay attention to the process that God brought them through because there are principles that will apply to us today. A couple of hashtags for you. Hashtag trust the process. Another one, hashtag step into the process. Joshua chapter 5, 1 and 2. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. This is the moment. If you've played sports, if you're in business, if you're a general of an army, when your rival competitor is paralyzed with fear, it's time to move forward in advance. Let's go. Let's take the land. It's all ready for us. They're afraid. Let's go. And God said, hold on. Now listen to what he said to the people because nobody saw this coming. Joshua 5, 2 through 5. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gilbeath Aeroloth. Anytime there's a double A, I just like to say Aeroloth. I don't think it's actually how it's said in the Hebrew, but it helps me today. When you go home at lunch, you can talk about how you think it should be said. 
Verse number four, Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. Step one in the process, remember who you are. Before God wanted his people to conquer and inhabit the land, he wanted them to remember who they were. There had been a generational disconnect. The men who had, and women who had left Egypt had been in a covenant family relationship with God. They had enjoyed the covenant blessing of God, his provision, and he had led them out of slavery and into freedom. They were indeed family with God. When I say covenant relationship, when I talk about the covenant, it refers back to Genesis 15 and 17 when God spoke to Abraham and God promised to, he made a covenant with them, and in that covenant, God promised to allow Abraham to father many nations, to make him fruitful. He promised to Abraham that he would be his God and that he would give Abraham the promised land. And the responsibility that God gave to Abraham in this covenant agreement was this. Genesis 17, 9 and 10 says, Then God said to Abraham, Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is a covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Being uncircumcised to the young men with Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, that meant that those young men were outside of the covenantal family of God. It meant they were considered unclean. It meant that they weren't able to participate in the whole Passover experience. And when I talk about Passover, remember the night before the Israelites left Egypt, they celebrated the Passover meal where they sacrificed the lamb, put the blood over the doorpost, signifying they had been covered by God, and then God led them out. A year after they left Egypt, they celebrated this again together. But all of these young men weren't able to fully participate in this the entire 39 years in the wilderness. Part of the Passover was retelling the story of God's wonder, retelling the story of God's goodness. And so there had been a disconnect where these young men had grown up not hearing about the God of their fathers. And the generation before them forgot to speak the story to their children. You know, that's a lesson for us in this room today because each one of our generations need to speak the stories of God that we experienced to the generations coming up after us. That goes to the oldest generation in this room. We need your stories of the process that God brought you through to get you where you are today. We need your stories of, of prayer and faith and perseverance to encourage younger generations. You see, what happens when nobody tells you who you are and where you came from, you walk around without an identity. And one of the things that is just innate in every human being in this world is that each of us strives to know our purpose, our meaning, and our identity. The unique thing about it is that we cannot give meaning to ourselves. We don't give identity to ourselves. These are things that must be spoken into us. 
And what happens when we wander away from God like the Israelites had in the wilderness, when they wandered from his identity, when they wandered from his purpose, what happens in our lives today when we wander is that we look for identity, meaning, and purpose wherever we can get it. And what happens is when we find something that we feel like identifies us and gives us purpose, we latch onto it. We cling to it, hoping it will fulfill us. And then what happens is we can never get enough of it. And so we keep going for more and more and more of it until in the end it leaves us bankrupt. You know, years ago, there was this really, really incredible movie that came out. It was called The Lion King. And in The Lion King, the protagonist of the movie, Simba, had believed a lie and he roamed around defeated and with a fake identity. And if you grant me a minute to tell you the story, he was wandering around until one day the little monkey Rafiki came up to him and told him who his, whose son he was. And Simba said, what? And Rafiki says, follow me. And he brings him to this little pond where he tells him to look down into the water to see his reflection, to see who he really was. And at first, Simba looks just like many of us, and he goes, I don't see anything. And Rafiki says, look harder. And then the skies open up, and Simba's dad speaks from the clouds and says, Simba, you have forgotten who you are. He says to his son, you have forgotten me, so you have forgotten who you are. Remember who you are. But there was a principle that he had wandered with a mistaken identity, and then when he was reminded of who he was, he remembered he was the son of the king. He remembered that there was a kingdom for him to participate in and to go back to so that he could rule and that he could reign. And sometimes as children of God, we find ourselves wandering about, forgetting who we are, attaching ourselves to whichever identity, and there comes a point in our lives we have to take a step back, pause, step into the process, and remember who we are, that we are children of the king. We're children of the God most high. Not only that, there's a kingdom for us to participate in when we remember we are children and sons and daughters of the king and that he goes with us. The second part of the process is to remember to listen to the voice of God. Listen to God's voice. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. In the New American Standard, it says it this way, they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Now, when we don't listen to God's voice, it doesn't mean we stop listening to everything. We all are listening to something. And part of the reason the older generation failed to speak identity into the younger one is because we learn to speak by what we hear. When you're a baby, each of us in this room, look at the person next to you and say, that's right, way, way back, some, at some point in history, you two were a baby, and you had to learn to speak. Here's the deal, though. Babies learn to speak because they're spoken to. None of us can speak unless we first hear words or we would not know what to speak. 
You know, in language acquisition, you go through this. And the people, people would say the best thing you can do is to be immersed in a language so that you could hear it and be able to repeat it back. In high school, I took Spanish classes, and I learned this Mexican dialect of Spanish where they said for me to say in a very, like, gringo-ish way, uh, hola, yo me llamo Ben. Then I, I went and spent some time in Argentina, and they said, when I talked like that, they said, no, 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 no. So, Ben, no hablamos así. Tenía que decir, yo me llamo Benjamín. And then all the Hispanics from Mexico said, sí, pero estamos ganando el mundial ahora. And the point is, you, can, you repeat and you learn to speak from what you're hearing. When I was in Argentina, I learned a different way of speaking Spanish with a different accent. And for those of us in this room, even if we're not listening to God, it doesn't mean we've shut every other voice out. We're all listening to something. But we're not often thinking about what we sound like when we talk and the voice that we carry in our speech. And so I have a couple questions for you because it's easy for us to look at the Bible story and read all of it in like a short amount of time, even though it happened over years. Because you might be like me and you read the story and you're like, man, how come you're not listening to God? He just delivered you out of Egypt. Like, how come you're not listening to God? He just stopped a river from flowing. Like, but sometimes we listen to other voices too and we sound like them. So who do you sound like when you talk? Do you sound like Fox News? Maybe you sound like CNN. Who do you sound like when you talk? One of the other things that we can preoccupy ourselves with in the different voices we listen to is the voice of our doubters. It's the voice of the people that are against us, the voice of the people who aren't for us. And I want to encourage you because even Moses dealt with this insecurity that when they were wandering in the wilderness, even Moses worried about what the people of Egypt were going to say about him and the Israelites. He was going to be afraid. He was afraid. And in Deuteronomy 9.28, Moses prayed and said to God, if you destroy these people, the Egyptians will say, the Israelites died because the Lord wasn't able to bring them to the land he promised to give them. Or they might say, he destroyed them because he hated them. He deliberately took them into the wilderness to slaughter them. Do you sound defeated when you talk? Do you sound like you're speaking through the voice of the insecurity about what your doubters or your enemies have spoken over you and your life in the past? You see, at this moment in time, it would have been easy for the Israelites to say, no, we don't want to step into that process. God, we're, we're on the offensive, we're advancing, and we might not want to step into your promise right now because when these other nations here that were wounded and that were down and out for a couple of days, they might think that, no, they're weak and they're not strong. But little would those other nations know that God was strengthening, that God was building up his people, that God was taking care of an internal thing, building up his people so that they could advance and conquer. Sometimes we get so caught up in other voices, we forget to hear the voice of God. You know, a few years ago, Sarah and I, we were going through just a difficult season in our life, not between each other, but just with life circumstances, and I just needed to hear God's voice. And at that time, I was serving at a, a statewide youth camp, helping teenagers have a great time and meet Jesus, and it was like Thursday night of camp, 
And Thursday night, I finally just decided, you know what, I got to go pray and seek God. And so I'm in the, this worship center with hundreds of teenagers. And how many of you, you just need your prayer closet sometime. You don't need to, like, pray in front of everybody space because then other people get in the way sometimes. And you're just like, I just need to get alone with God. And so I, I snuck out of the room, and I went into this uh, prayer tabernacle little building hut. I don't know how to describe it to you. But it was a small room. And I was alone, and it was quiet. And I'd been with teenagers for four straight days, hundreds of them, just full of life. I'd been detached from the world. And I was kind of curious. All of a sudden, I had this moment. I knew I wanted to talk with the Lord, but I was also kind of wondering, like, what's happening outside of this campground right now? And I grabbed my phone, and I, I just wanted to go on Facebook for a minute and just kind of, like, do the thumb scroll you know how you do, and you're like, just like, you, it's not like you're expecting to find anything, but you just want to see something outside of where you are. And in that moment, God spoke to me. He said, Ben, Facebook doesn't have what you need right now. It doesn't have the voice that you need to listen to right now. And for some of us, you're like me, it's hard for us to disconnect so that we can hear the voice of God, but we have to. And in that moment, God spoke to me and gave me the strength I needed for that day and the word that I needed for my future. You see, reiterating what I said a little bit ago, the fathers in this story and in the older generation, they didn't pass on God's voice to their children, and they let their children be spoken to by the ways of the world and their current culture. And so today my challenge for us as a church is who is the voice of life to our next generations we need our older generations to teach younger ones to hear God's voice, how to pray, how to listen, how to intercede. And when I say older, I'm not just talking about the senior saints in the room. I'm talking about those of you who have just made it out of high school. You have a voice to help young people, people younger than you, learn and know how you can make it through middle school and high school serving God and loving him. I'm talking about people who have gotten out of college and you've gone on to get jobs. You can talk to young 20-somethings and say, hey, you know what? Stick in the process. It's worth it. I'm talking about people who are advanced in their 30s and 40s, looking back to the people in their 20s and saying, hey, you know what? I know right now it's a rat race and you feel like all these other things matter. Just stay in the process. It's going to be worth it. We need your voice to speak to the younger generations. The world might not understand, but our strength comes from the Lord. We hear God's voice when we pray. We hear God's voice from his word. And we hear God's voice when we're in connection and in connected relationships with other believers. Step number three, the process. And I love this one. Rest in the fact that your shame has been rolled away. Joshua 5 verse 9 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt, so that place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means to roll. God was rolling away the notion that he had abandoned his people. You see, as the Israelites were walking through the wilderness away from the things that God had intended for them in the promised land for 40 years, it would have been easy for other nations to start thinking, you know what? God's abandoned them. He's not with them anymore. They done messed up, and God said, peace, I'm out. What God was doing in this moment by bringing his people back into a covenant relationship, a family relationship, remember, God pursued them. God brought them back. God was saying, no, 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 I'm rolling away their shame because even though they messed up, they're mine, and I'm still with them. 
You see, there's an application for this today because when we read in the scripture, there's oftentimes physical acts that have spiritual meaning. And when you look at the spiritual meaning of circumcision, you go into Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Verse 11, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. It was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, hey, that shame that you have felt, that shame that you've experienced because of your mistakes, because of your, your past decisions, the, things you've, the shame that you've experienced because of your addictions, the shame that you've experienced because of the way your parents were, the shame that you've experienced up to now, when Jesus rose from the dead and God rolled that tomb away, all that shame got rolled away. God's still in the business of rolling away shame. And not only that, but he's taking your enemy, the ones that have accused you, and he said, look, not only did I defeat the enemy, but I shamed him in public for everyone for all time. Jesus took our shame so that we no longer have to bear it. You see, the next step in the process is this. It's step number four is return to the process. Because we need to keep going back to the moment when God rolled our, sh our shame away. We need to keep trusting the process over and over again in our lives. Because when you look at the, the significance of Gilgal throughout the book of Joshua, it's actually quite interesting. This wasn't a one time they had this one moment with God and they were just good forever. And how many of you know that's true of our lives too? We don't have just one encounter with God that all of a sudden we're just good forever. We need to keep going back to him and stepping into the process with him and saying, God, what is it that you want to do in me today? And Gilgal was the place where the children of Israel camped throughout the entire conquest of the promised land. They would go out to battle, but they would always return to Gilgal. After conquering Jericho, they went back to Gilgal. After they, the defeat at Ai, they went back to Gilgal. Throughout the conquest of the southern and northern kingdoms, they always returned to this place called Gilgal. When you go to Joshua chapter 10, you can see how many times it's referenced. Verse 6 says, the men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. You see, for us in our lives today, in our Christian lives, walking with God, our Gilgal might not be a physical location, but it's that place in our hearts where Jesus entered our life, made us new, took us from death to life, from abandoned orphan to adopted part of the family. It's that place where we're at the foot of the cross going, Jesus, thank you, I remember that today. I remember that you're the God who saved me, delivered me, set me free, and set me on a new path. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. For more messages, visit EmmanuelCC.org.